Amen. Y'all just got a good hand clap of praise this morning. If you're excited to be in God's house, give him a good shout of praise. Amen. Amen. If you're excited for all the moms, give them a good shout of praise. Hallelujah. We're excited for moms. If we could, just for a moment, if we could have all the moms in the house stand up and the balcony included, we got a rose that we want to give you just as a token of our appreciation, how much we love you and how grateful we are that you are in our lives. If you would, remain standing until you get your rose, and we are so grateful that you are at the Way Bible Church this morning. We're grateful for everything that you do for us throughout all the years, and as Pastor Mitch said, we're grateful for all the things we've seen you do. We're more grateful for all those things you've done behind the scenes, and we haven't seen you you do. And so we want to say thank you this morning at the Way Bible Church for everything you do as a mother, for everything you do to help raise kids the right way, to make sure families are in church. And so we are extremely grateful that you are here this morning. Ladies in the balcony, we got people headed up there to give you roses just right now as well. And so please remain standing and they'll get those to you shortly. And so one more time is uh, all the moms in the house, give them a big hand clap of praise this morning. Thank you moms for all that you do for everything that you are, and we're excited for all that God has in store for you. And so open up your Bibles, if you would, to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter number 28. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter number 28. And being that it is Mother's Day, there is no correlation between Mother's Day and the series we're in called May Day, okay? So that was not uh, an intentional thing. So we know moms are the ones that usually keeps the ship afloat and uh, not sink it. The kids are the ones that sink it. We'll just blame them because they're not in here right now. Amen. And so open your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter number 28. The title of this morning's message is, Where Are You? Where Are You is the title of this morning's message. And in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, this is a very common verse of Scripture that you've read and heard literally thousands of times probably in your lifetime. And sometimes we get so familiar with the passage that we've read that we miss the intentionality that we should be reading it with, and therefore we miss sometimes the word that God has for us as we read the word of God. And so Matthew, chapter 28, starting in verse number 16, And the Bible says this, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And I'm going to stop right there. As I said, the title of this morning's message is, Where Are You? And the disciples knew this. It says they went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them to go to. And so many times in our life, you're never going to find where God is calling you to unless you know where you're at. And I'm so grateful the disciples figured out where they were at and realized they needed to go to the mountain of God where Jesus could speak to them and give them a word from God that would not just transform their life, but transform all of history following the word that God gave them. Now, the question I have for you, when is the last time you went to your mountain of God, your place where you hear from God to get a word from God? And what I mean by that is not the word from God that's like, hey, I I, I feel the prompting of God to maybe eat this today or wear this today or minister to so-and-so today or da-da-da. I mean a word from God that transforms your life and it alters the course of who you are. Because they went to Galilee, to the mountain Jesus had directed them to, not to get just a sense of his presence and an uh, unction from God, they literally got a word from God that would transform everything about their life from that day forward, going into Pentecost Sunday, 10 days from this encounter here, and literally it transformed and altered their life. I'm talking about the word from God that you get 
that is so loud to you that it's audible when everybody else is looking around like, I didn't hear nothing, right? I mean, that type of word. I'm talking about the word from God that you get two or three times in a lifetime that transforms everything about who you are in the current situation that you're in. And if you don't know where you are, you're not gonna know how to get to where God's calling you to be. And so I wanna ask you, when is the last time you went to the mountain of God to hear a word from God that would alter the course of your life? Now, in saying that, I just sensed kind of like a a spirit of fear sweep across. So people are like, "Um, I don't know if I've ever got that word because if it alters the course of my life, I'm pretty happy with where I'm at. But if you're just happy with where you're at and you don't get a word from God that alters your life and transforms you, you're missing out not just on where you're supposed to be, but who you're supposed to be. And I would rather have a word from God that alters everything about my life and where it's currently at than to not go to the mountain and get a word from God and miss what God has for me. And with this, the disciples knew where they were in Galilee. They knew where they were supposed to go up to the mountain to have a meeting with Jesus, the Son of God, after he was resurrected from the dead, before his ascension to go into the heavenlies where he ever lives to intercede for you and for me. There was a divine moment that just took place in Matthew 28. And sometimes we brush past the divine moment, a life-altering word from God, because we just go into the great commission of what they were supposed to do after the word. But they wouldn't know what to do after the word if they never have gotten the word. So everybody say this this morning. God, God. give me a word. And I want him to speak to your life today. And I just feel real um, a sense of urgency to say this. You're not here by accident. You're not here because it's Mother's Day. Ladies, there's some words that God wants to give you today that's going to alter everything about your life. And I hope you hear it so loud and so clear that you just shout in the middle of the message, maybe. I'm I'm telling you. You're not here by accident. Husbands, dads, men in the house, you're not here by accident. You didn't come because mama wanted you to come to church. This is a God-ordained moment in your life that I believe he's called you here for a purpose because he's got a word for you and he wants to bring it to you to change everything about who you are and what you're going to do. If you're here this morning and you're in the balcony, it's not by chance that you're in the balcony. God sees exactly where you're at. He knows exactly what you're doing. He knows exactly the place you're in in this life and he's got a word for wherever you are at in the house. So my emphasis this morning is When is the last time you got a word from God that altered your life? That changed how you saw things and changed the direction of your life? That's not even in my notes. That's just the intro, okay? That's just the bonus material. And it says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee. They knew where they were. To the mountain of God, they know where to go, which Jesus had directed them to. I'm glad they listened to Jesus, amen? And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. And that's why I love that verse of scripture. The the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Come on. The psalmist was prophesying about this day when all authority in heaven and on earth were given unto Jesus. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Go therefore. See, if they didn't know where they were, they weren't going to know where to go. Go therefore 
and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. If you believe that, give God a good hand clap of praise this morning. Amen. He's not, he's not left you. He's not abandoned you. And if you're in a Mayday moment, he's still right there with you. And I'm telling you, as we're in this series called Mayday, what is the emergency is the question we must ask. You only use the radio transmission of Mayday as, in as, as a, an emergency procedure word in your life when catastrophic things are happening. But what is happening in the church that we are in a Mayday moment? The Mayday moment in the church is this. 80% of churches in America are in decline. 17% of churches are growing, but it's only by basically a transfer of membership. Where, where people come to church after leaving another church or they've been involved in church, stepped away and came back to church. But only 3% of churches are growing by people being born again and stepping into a discipleship model and walking it out. TWBC is not in that 3%. And therefore, that's not an amen, it's an oh me. There's an emergency in the kingdom of God that we must open our eyes to recognize that if only 3% of churches are growing by people getting born again, that means there's a commission on this church that we are needing to go fulfill that we haven't been fulfilling even though our church is growing. And so I'm so excited that our church is growing, but now I want us to continue to grow, but also begin to grow by lost people getting born again and stepping into discipleship, amen? By people coming to know Christ. If 48% of the city of Sulphur Springs has no affiliation with God and no affiliation with the church, I'm telling you there's people in your life that you know and you may think they go somewhere or you may think they know about God, but they have no concept of who God is or what church is about. 48% of our city where some of you were born and raised and going to die because it's called home. Come on, somebody. And if you were born here, and if you are raised here, and you're going to go home to be with Jesus from here, how about we transform here and now? Because guess what? When it says, go all the world, this is part of the world still. See, a lot of times we think about going around the world, when across the street is around the world for somebody else. With this, the current situation in the church today is at a state of mayday. Because only 3% of church growth is happening by truly, truly getting lost people saved. There is the result of an 80% decline in most churches. And I'll tell you this, that there are more mega churches in America today, but churches less attended than it's ever been. So the answer to the problem that we face is not mega churches, it's more churches. Well, there's churches everywhere. Well, it's time that they, we, we help bring them back to life. Yes. And I'm here to tell you today that in this time that we're in, this is why it's so vital for us to go to the mountain of God and get a word from God that begins to transform my life, not for the sake of my life, but for the sake of the life that will never get to meet Jesus unless I'm transformed. Amen. Oh, come on. I'm going to preach to this side for a minute. They look like they didn't like me over there, so I'm going to come to this and smile at me, please. 
we must go and get a word from God not for the sake of our life to become better but for the sake of the life out there that will never know and meet Jesus Christ until we get the transformation word from God that will change their life when we begin to pray as a church, not, oh, God, bless me, but, oh, God, transform me so those people out there can receive the blessing of me. Come on. You, you are a blessing to somebody out there. You may think you're a mess, but one word from God can transform your life, and you'll be the blessing that somebody needed to see. And I'm telling you, I am so excited about your transformational moment, hearing a word from God that will alter the course of your life that'll change the very perception that you have of the place that you call home in the city where you live in the place where you go to work in the restaurants that you eat in in the ball fields that you play on one transformational word from God changes everything and it's not to bless me it's to bless the people who need to see the Jesus in me. And therefore, as we jump into this morning's message, I'm going to ask the question, where are you? One of the most vital pieces of surviving a Mayday distress, one of the most vital pieces in surviving a Mayday distress call is you have to know where you are. What is your location? If the person, the captain of a ship is in the middle of the ocean, and they're crying out mayday, but they cannot declare where their longitude and latitude cross. They are hopeless in where they're going to be rescued or not. If you are flying a plane over the wilderness in, Af or in Alaska, and you cannot tell people your exact location, there is 0% of a chance that you'll ever get rescued. That's why Alaska is called the last frontier. <laughs> because there's no man's land. And when you're in a mayday call, if you do not know your location... There is 0% chance that you're going to be rescued. There is 0% chance of survival if you do not know where you are. All journeys begin with a starting point. Every journey in your life, every journey that you go on physically, they all begin with a starting point. If I were to say the name Rand McNally, how many of y'all know what I'm talking about? Rand McNally was the major producer of what they would call in my growing up days. I'm not going to say the old days. That makes me dated a little bit. In my growing up days of what they called an atlas. An atlas. And an atlas was not just the map of a state that you would physically open up. It was a book with every state in it, with all the roads in it that when you were going on vacation like we would driving to see our family in Michigan you would have to break out the atlas it's like this wide and that tall I'm, I ain't playing <laughs> student ministries are looking at me like what <laughs> and it was paper with a map and you would highlight the route and we as kids would fight over who would sit in the front seat that's before you actually had laws about this and who would be the navigator to which one of my parents were driving and you would flip the page in the atlas and you were so excited if you were the one sitting in the front seat when you turn the page as you were crossing a state line because you got to turn the page and I'm telling you if you're driving to Michigan Illinois bless your heart it is the longest state with cornfield after cornfield after cornfield oh there's a wheat field hallelujah a change of scenery thank you God <laughs> It is flat and it is long. 
And we would use this atlas, a paper book, to turn page after page after page after page to get to our final destination. But today there's something better. If you do not have this on your phone, you need to download an app called Waze, W-A-Z-E. Now the student ministry is like lighting up. They're like, we get this one right here, you know? (laughs) We're good. Waze, now I love Waze. I love it for a bunch of reasons because Waze is awesome. Waze doesn't have me read it. Waze actually talks to me. When I'm driving down the road and I have Waze on, it's awesome because it tells me there's a cop down the road. (laughs) Come on, somebody. You know it's good. Leave it to your pastor to find that app. That's what I'm talking about. There's a cop down the road. And then I also love it because I'll be driving through Dallas and it'll say, red light camera detected. But I still got a ticket on it. I mean, I'm telling you, I did. I still got the ticket. Even though it told me that there was a camera on that red light and I didn't run through an intersection. I was turning right, right? Okay, y'all don't care about it. Y'all was happy I got a ticket, right? And so I didn't completely stop before I turned right on red, even though it said I could, but I didn't make a complete stop. And so it told me that I was going to get a ticket if I would do that. I also love it because it also tells me when there's a car stranded on the side of the road. It also tells me when there's a traffic jam ahead. It also tells me if the construction is too bad going through Roy City, if you take, come on, you know what I'm talking about. Praise God, Bucky's is about to open. Hallelujah. And it tells me if you take this alternate route, it'll be seven minutes quicker. It's awesome because I don't have to figure it out. It's got me figured out. It's the same thing. And and the the awesome thing about it is this. it, It tells me where my starting point is. It's got us right here at the church. It tells me where I'm at. If you're ever going to have a chance of surviving your Christian walk, you've got to know where you're at. You've got to know your starting place. You've got to know where it's going to be. And so many times people have stuck to the paper version. Now hear what I'm saying. I'm not discounting the Bible, but you've got to hear this whole part of the message. You get stuck getting lost in paper versions and you haven't poured yourself into this version so it can talk back to you and change who you really are. See, the thing about the Word of God is this. It's awesome. It is the roadmap to your life, and it's amazing. But the thing about this thing is, is if you don't read it with the Spirit of God on it, you're just going to be flipping through a paper. If you'll start pouring yourself into it with the Spirit of God on it, it won't. you won't just talk to it, but it'll start talking back to you. It'll start telling you where there's a traffic jam in your life. It'll start telling you where there's a red light camera detected. It'll start telling you there's a cop right down the road. You may want to change your course of, of driving or how you're driving come on somebody the thing about this is so many people have put the written word of God aside because you think it's just paper but if you'll open up the paper the written becomes the rhema and it'll start talking back to you and it'll start telling you things about your life it'll not only tell you where you're going it'll tell you exactly where you're at and if you can start finding out where you're at you'll definitely find out where you're going This awesome, amazing, inspired, infallible Word of God 
the Bible says about itself that it is living and active sharper than any double-edged sword points and the marrow it divides between the soul and the spirit it talks to me and I talk to it it instructs me and I listen to him in it it helps me it guides me it leads me to where I'm supposed to go because I know the author who wrote it and when you know the author who wrote it he'll begin to instruct you on where you should go and how you should get there and everything in your life the thing about it is you've got to have it you've got to use it you've got to develop it so on your true path of becoming disciple if you do not know where you are you got zero chance of survival on your path of becoming a follower of Jesus Christ it says go and make disciples of all nations first we got to figure out if you are a disciple or you're a churchgoer there's a big difference and in today's society we don't know the difference there's a big difference between a disciple and somebody who simply goes to church as a kid growing up when somebody called you a name there was a common response that we always said and it was this it takes one to no one. it takes one to no one somebody would call you a bad name takes one to no one I, I, I get in trouble by my kids kid, but they're not okay that now that as their kids like I know I shouldn't use the word stupid but sometimes I say the word stupid and my kids get onto me every time and I get in trouble but when I was a kid and somebody called me stupid my answer would be it takes one to know one right well let me ask you this that statement being true I want to ask you are you a disciple because it takes one to know one it takes one to no one and if you're going to go and make disciples we have to know if we are one now listen to this the gospel you preach will determine the disciples that you make the gospel that you preach will determine the disciples that you make and in the United States of America today we've preached a gospel that says come to church and you're going to be okay to say this simple prayer and you're going to heaven you are all good and the problem with that is that makes a lot of people churchgoers and not really disciples. The gospel you preach will de determine the disciples that you make. And so I'm going to ask you, if somebody began to follow your life and do exactly what you were doing, would you say at the end of their life they have become an awesome and amazing disciple and follower of Jesus? I'm asking in your life, do you know where you are on your discipleship journey? See, I'm not preaching for Sunday. I'm preaching for Monday. I'm not preaching for you to be inspired today. I'm preaching for you to change the world tomorrow. Because the people in here, you're already changed. You're born again. You know Jesus. If you don't, you have the opportunity right now. I'm not going to wait till then. If you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, man, get up and raise your hand and we'll pray. We'll stop the whole service and pray because there's nothing more important than that. There's nothing more important than that. But if you are born again in the house, I'm not preaching for you today. I'm preaching for you tomorrow. Yeah, amen. Come on. We don't want to be preached to for tomorrow. <laughs> Pastor, I need a word for today. The word you get today will transform your tomorrow. 
The word you get in the house of God today because you went to the mountain of God to get the word of God isn't probably for just you. It's to affect the people that you're going to be around tomorrow because he didn't call you just to get saved. He called you to make disciples. In your life, we've got to realize, are we becoming or are we just behaving? Are we becoming or are we just behaving? Mark 10, 24 says this, a student is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. See, the problem in reading this scripture text, the student is not above his teacher, is we equate everything that we read in this scripture according to our Western culture upbringing, not according to the Jesus culture that he was living and talking about. Our Western culture upbringing, when we say student and teacher, we think of the elementary school that we grew up in with one teacher up front and 24 kids in our class, and we think of it in that type of a setting. That's not the setting Jesus was talking about. When Jesus talked about a student and a teacher, he was talking about a teacher being a rabbi, a student, which would be a disciple or somebody who was learning the discipline of the rabbi, disciple, they called them Talmud. And the purpose of a Talmud was this, it was not to know what the rabbi knows, it was to be who the rabbi was. Do, do, do you get the difference? See, in our Western culture education system, we just want to know what the teacher knows so we can pass the class and go to the next grade. That's not the culture Jesus was talking about. That's not the culture the, the, the rabbi and the disciple or Talmud were, were in. The, the purpose of what Jesus was doing with the disciples is he needed to get 12 men that after he was gone would literally be who he was in the earth. The purpose of you coming and getting involved in a discipleship uh, process with your life is not so you can go live a better life. It's so you can become who Jesus was when he walked this earth. The, the Bible says this, as he is, so are we in the earth. So we're supposed to literally follow so close to Jesus that people recognize us because we're doing what he did, saying what he said, acting like he acted, not because we have behavior modification, but because we're becoming like the Son of God because we're born again, and greater is he that's in me than he that's in this world. And if we, all these scriptures that we love to quote, if we would start applying them to our discipleship walk, it would force us into a transformation process. I want you to quote scriptures because you're becoming it, not because you hope to be it. See, a lot of us quote a scripture by faith, hoping that it happens one day. I want you to quote a scripture because it's happening today. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in this world. That means the he that is in me is greater than my circumstance that I'm facing. And so now I'm an overcomer of this circumstance. I'm not hoping to overcome. Yeah. It's who I am, not just what I want to do. And so we got to decide, are we becoming or are we just behaving? See, you can behave like a disciple without ever becoming a disciple. You can behave like a disciple without ever becoming one. See, becoming a disciple means you have identity discovery. If you're just behaving, it's just behavior modification that will never yield the results that you want. See, one produces sons in the kingdom of God. The other produces Pharisees in the kingdom of God. Becoming, discovering your identity, and you become a son in the kingdom of God. Behavior modification is done in your own willpower. 
and you change it by sheer act of force and will, and then you become a Pharisee in the kingdom of God. And with this, you cannot blame the scriptures for you not getting the results that you're looking for if you're understanding the programming but you're doing actions counterintuitive to get the results. Does that make sense? Let me give this illustration. I love CrossFit, right? I love it. I love the craziness of it. I love the intensity of it. I love the workouts that they do. I love, I love the community that it's there. I love the, 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 the absolute way it pushes you to a limit that you didn't know you had. I love everything about it. I even love the blisters you get on your hands from it, right? I mean, you, you, you got it. But I can't blame CrossFit for not giving me the body that I want when I won't subject myself to the diet that I need. Do, do, do you get it? See, I can do CrossFit all day long, but if I don't combine it with my eating regimen, I can kill myself in the gym and never get the body that I want, but I can't blame CrossFit because the programming's good, but I'm doing something counterintuitive to the programming that's there, and I'm not getting the results that I want. We do the same thing with God all the time. The programming is here. It's written here in Logos, in the Word of God. It's inspired by the rhema, the Spirit of God. The programming, the discipleship is here. But I can't blame God for not getting me the results that I want when His programming is perfect if I'm constantly doing stuff counterintuitive after I leave the house of God that goes against the programming of God. Gosh, that's got to set in. Because... If we get a word from God here and the discipleship process starts, but we go out tomorrow and do everything to undermine the process of the word that he gave us, we can't blame God for us not getting the results that he wants and we want when his ways are perfect. So in this, you've got to be understanding that it's more than behavior modification. It is done by transformation. And I want to ask you, are you becoming or are you just behaving? A lot of people come to church every Sunday because of behavior modification, not because they're becoming a disciple. I want you to become who he's called you to become, not just behave in a way that lets people think you're doing okay. So are you becoming or are you behaving? And if you're becoming, you're discovering something new about yourself in the process. When is the last time you discovered something brand new about yourself, something you didn't know? When it, just, just think something you found out about yourself. That's kind of like a hard question. What, I kind of I know all about myself. But here's the thing. As I subject myself to a discipleship process, I'm finding out a lot more about myself and discovering my true identity, who I am in Christ, than I ever have. I'm finding stuff new about myself every day. There's a lot more to Pastor Joel than just being a preacher. Come on, somebody. Are you with me this morning? There's a lot more to me than just standing on a platform and delivering the word of God. I can't wait till our next series, man. It's going to transform your life. I'm so pumped about it, and it goes into some of this. But if we don't step into the word of God and begin ourselves, pour ourselves into this, it'll never begin to speak to us, and we'll never discover who he's calling us to be and discovering what is really in you, even though you haven't found it yet. 
If I hold up an acorn in front of you, the whole oak tree is contained in that acorn. But over years, it will discover new things about itself as it begins to grow. All the potential that you have in your life that you need to fulfill everything that God has for you, it's already as a seed within you because it's Jesus Christ within you. We got, a, we got a responsibility of planting that in a certain place so it begins to grow, and that growth is called discovery. Listen, there's something inside of you that you need to discover. And so with that, I'm so excited about what God has in store for you, but when is the last time you discovered something about yourself? And to discover things about yourself, you need to put yourself in the right place. That's not church. It contains church, but it's in the presence of God. And like any good person in real estate says, the number one thing about real estate is what? Location, location, location. In that, I'm asking the question again, where are you? And so a couple, couple weeks ago, the, the staff and leadership and, and elders went away to, to a two-day um, training where we went through something called Leadership University and I've asked the question, where are you several times? Because I wanted to get to this point. They're about to put seven points up on the screen. And if you find your starting place, he'll get you to your destination. And we sat down and we, we, we wrote this out um, of what we look at as how do you become a disciple? What are the qualifications? What, what, what do you need in your life? And the first one is this. It's make a quality decision for Jesus Christ. Now, this is two parts. One, if you have never made a decision to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, now is that day. Now is that time because you're not here by accident. And it's very simple. The Bible says if you confess or just say out loud that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved or born again, the Bible says, according to Romans 10, 9. And I want you to make that quality decision for Jesus Christ. The other part of this is some of you made a quality decision decades ago at vacation Bible school. Some of you made a quality decision decades ago at a church camp or a youth camp or some kind of environment. Some of you may even got born again in college at a college Bible study. And that was decades ago. And since that time, you lived for Jesus and started this process and you walked with him for a season. But now a season has become dormant. And maybe it's time for you to reawaken within yourself. And say, I know I was born again then, but I noticed since then I've had a downward trajectory in my life and with that I want to stop the downward path and I want to make a decision today that says Jesus Christ you are still Lord of my life you are still Savior of my soul I still believe that your sin that your blood covers all my sins and washes away all my iniquity and makes me clean I still believe that God raised you from the dead in power I still believe you are the resurrected Son of God and today I'm making a quality decision in my life to begin this discipleship process and begin an upward trajectory in my life Make a quality decision for Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, if you're in the house this morning, there is no shame in this. There is no shame in this. Well, people think, I come to church all the time, but I hadn't really been living. What are people? I'm not worried about what people think. I'm concerned about you getting that transformational word from God this morning. And for some people in this room, this is it. This is that transformational word. You're looking at it, it's like, I've got to make a decision for Christ today. And I hope there's a sense of urgency in your life when you do it. When you do that, make a quality decision for Jesus Christ. 
the, the thing we got, on, what we got by number two is this, a relationship with him. A relationship with him. Me and my wife have been married 17 years. Our anniversary was last week. I'm so excited. Some of y'all saw the picture on Facebook. You saw 20 years ago when we first got engaged, right? And you saw how young we looked and how I looked 12 and she looked 13, right? And I was like literally 20 and she was like 18, right? No, I was 21 and she was 19, right? But then you saw the other picture after that and a lot has changed in 20 years. A lot has changed because of relationship that we're in. A lot has changed and with that relationship, it takes work to keep it going. It takes, it takes effort. And so with that, just like I talk to her every day, it doesn't matter what country in the world I'm in, I'm talking to my wife. FaceTime is the greatest gift ever, right? I'm talking to her because there's a relationship that I need to have. And the way I talk to her is the exact same way I talk to Jesus. No filter. If you gotta filter your conversations with Jesus, there's a part of your life you're not letting him in. I talk to Jesus just like I talk to my wife with great respect and with great love but sometimes with great frustration sometimes with great concern sometimes with great um, emotion sometimes with all the things that are going on with great confusion of where we're at and I'm like Jesus I just need your help and so I don't filter my conversations with Jesus he's a big enough Jesus to handle it but I also don't get in uh, this attitude of being unholy in the, with him either. Amen. Does that make sense? I mean, I don't filter it, but I'm also not a jerk with it, right? That's the best way I can phrase it. I, I hope it's translating through. Because there is still something about the holiness in the presence of God that I'm in when I'm talking to Jesus. And so every morning when I'm reading my Bible and I'm drinking my coffee and Jesus likes coffee, amen. He doesn't like it because he likes coffee. He likes it because I'm sitting at the table with coffee, so he drinks coffee for my sake, not for his sake. Right? And so as we're talking about what's going to happen throughout the day, Jesus, you know my schedule, but I also know you have an agenda for my schedule. See, Jesus, I'm going to take on your agenda if you'll take on my schedule. Praise God. People ask me all the time, how do you get so much done and how do you do all this stuff? It's because I take his agenda and I let him take my schedule. And somehow they intermingle and they intertwine and it all gets done and happening. And so there's a relationship that's there that you've got to develop. Talk to him just like he's your best friend because he is your best friend. Then change. Making a daily decision for Jesus Christ. I said we've been married 20 years and there's been a lot of change that has happened. There's been some moments of intensive fellowship in that relationship. Few and far between, but there have been moments of intensive fellowship. That means fights, for those of you who missed it. And I'm telling you, after every one, I came out changed. Hallelujah. I saw the light. Amen. There's been tragedies, and we came out changed. There's been heartbreak, and we came out changed. There's been great victories, and we came out changed. There's been big problems, and we came out changed. There's been issues in our life, and we came out changed. And the thing about it is, in my family, in our household, we got this thing that we say, we either win or we learn, but losing is not a part of our culture. Come on, somebody. You need to adopt that. Even in a soccer game, when I coach my kids... If the other team ends up having more points than we do at the beginning of the game, we didn't lose, but we're definitely going to learn. Hallelujah. The score may say one thing, 
but we're still going to win in this process because there's something we can always learn in the process. But the thing about it is, good, bad, ugly, otherwise, I came out changed in my relationship with Jesus Christ. Every step of faith that I take, I come out changed, and I got to be willing to change, and I got to be willing to let him change me and, and, and mold me and craft me into who I'm called to be. And in this changing process, I got to trust the one who's doing the changing in me more than the pain of the change going through me. I've got to trust the one who is making the change in me more than I'm sensitive to the issue or pain that the change is causing through me. Some of you are going through change right now in your life, and you've got to trust the one who's doing the changing more than you uh, trust the pain that you're going through of the change. Everybody give me a number four. Come on, y'all. They're going to be fine walking on the stage by themselves. They're good. They're grown. All right, everybody say number four. There's got to be growing. And you got to realize you can't grow alone. You can't do it alone. Jesus, when he was called into the ministry, after he was baptized by the Holy Spirit in, the, in water baptism and in the River Jordan with the Holy Spirit baptism, he got tempted for 40 days as he was fasting. Immediately after that, he went out and what? He got 12 people to do life with. If you're going to grow, you got to have people in your life. If you're going to grow, you got to let people in your life. If you're going to grow, you got to pursue having people in your life. And not just people, the right people. The right people who are going to challenge you to step into this process that we're talking about and begin to grow. The people who are going to challenge you to say, hey, I'm taking a step of faith and we're moving forward with the things of God. The right people. Because I've been around long, the wrong people long enough to know when somebody's negatively affecting my life. And I've been around the right people long enough to know the people who challenge me and spur me on to the things of God. You got to grow. There's got to be some growth in your life. Number five, every day saying yes to what Jesus is asking. Man, it's a daily thing. You got to wake up in the morning saying, Jesus, I'm going to say yes to what you prompt me to do today. I'm going to say yes to what you're telling me to do today. I'm going to say yes to everything that you're showing me. Number six is this, becoming selfless. Becoming selfless. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must do these three things. Deny himself, take up his cross, and what? follow me now here's the thing we live in a culture that says self-indulgent not self-denial if it does your feel if it does your soul good and it feels good do it but Jesus is saying just the opposite if you're going to become who I'm creating you to become you're gonna to have to put yourself and what feels good aside because the workout program that you're going through doesn't feel good in the moment but it's gonna give you the body that you want See, the discipleship process, it may not feel good in the moment, but in the end, you're going to be who I desire for you to be and who your heart longs to be. Becoming selfless says you must deny yourself, take up your cross. We look at that as a glorious thing in America. Oh, I'm going to take up my cross and follow him. The cross hurts. The cross was not comfortable for Jesus. The cross, it hurt when he had nails in his hands. It hurt when they put nails in his feet. It hurt when they put the crown of thorns on his head. It hurt when they pierced him in his side. It hurt when they ripped out his beard. It hurt when they punched him in the face. It hurt when they mocked him and called him all kinds of names. It didn't feel good. It hurt. But somehow in America, we think, deny myself, take up my glorious cross and follow him. And we think it's going to feel good. And it just doesn't sometimes. And I'm not trying to be a downer, but I am telling you the reality of if you're going to change your life, there's going to be some things that he's growing you through because he's trying to grow you too. Come on, somebody. That's good. 
but you're not going to grow into it until you drop this part of it and follow him becoming selfless and finally this reproduce reproduce if you had 12 people following you for the next three years at the end of three years would they be the Christian they desired to be because they followed you you got to begin to reproduce who God has inside of you and here's the thing about this I, I hesitated putting this in a seven-step process or a seven-point process because we think it goes one two three four five six seven and then we're done and we've graduated and I'm a disciple and I'm gonna go make disciples the thing is it's not a step process it's a cycle that you go through and it's just like your education that you went through. When I was in first grade, I did first grade math, but when I graduated first grade math, guess what, I had second grade math. And then third grade math. And so the discipleship process never stops. It's always a cycle. Because once you graduate elementary math, you got middle school math, and then you got high school math, and then if you were not smart like me, you would go to college thinking I'm gonna get a business degree, they'll teach me how to be a boss, and all they gave you was more math. Because once you got out of high school math, you had a college algebra, and then you had stats one, and stats two, and finance one, and finance two, and calculus one, and calculus two. And you had to pass it all. And here's what I learned from all that math in college. I learned that all that was was behavior modification and not becoming. And I'll prove it to you. Here's why. Because I don't remember one thing about all the math that I learned in college. Not one thing. I was good about this. I would memorize the formula that would give me the correct answer, but I didn't want to become it, so it was behavior modification to get to it, and therefore I don't know anything about it anymore where if I would have understood it, I would have became it, and I'd be teaching math. <laughs> So in your Christian walk, I don't want it to be behavior modification. I don't want the Christian walk to be a formula that you do this and you do this and I get this result and ooh, good, I got figured, God figured out because it's not like that. It's not a formula. It's a relationship. It's not a recipe how to bake cookies. It's a relationship how to make disciples. And sometimes in this cycle that's going on in your life, it reminds me of August in the middle of a Texas summer. Because you know, every August something happens. Well, actually two things happen. The weatherman gets the forecast right. Because it's going to be hot and sunny tomorrow. The other thing that happens is there's a high pressure system that always comes and sits right over northeast Texas. And it just sits there for about two and a half, three weeks and spins. And it gets sultry hot. And it gets nasty hot. And it gets sweaty hot. And it's horrible because it just sits there spinning over and over and over and over. And sometimes part of this discipleship process becomes a high pressure system in your life that just sits there and spins. And that high pressure system in my life recently, it's been becoming selfless. But if I don't let that high pressure system put pressure on my life, I'll I'll never get from grapes to wine. I'll never get from olives to the oil. And God's more concerned about the wine and the oil that I'm becoming rather than the grapes and the olives that I have. And so sometimes in my discipleship, there's a high pressure system that just spins because he's trying to create oil and wine. Come on, somebody. I'm here. So if you're in a high pressure part of life, he's creating something. See it for what it is, not for what it isn't. He's creating something out of your life. And so I'm going to close with this. 
one question. Where are you? If you guys could put one through seven back up on the board. Where are you in this journey? Do you need to make a decision for Jesus Christ this morning? Either one that I said, a first-time decision that says, I need Jesus as my Lord and Savior, or I need to make a quality decision that I'm going to start living for him once again. What decision do you need to make? Where are you? Are you a number one? Are you number four realizing you need to go talk to Pastor Jeff at altar call and say, I need relationship in my life because I can't grow without it. Are you like your pastor in a number six high pressure situation of becoming selfless about realizing this whole life thing that I'm doing is about a lot more than myself and my desires and what I want. It's about a lost uh, city out there with 48% of them who don't know Jesus and I'm willing to become uncomfortable for them to find a place of belonging. Where are you this morning? Pick a number, one through seven. You're somewhere on there. If you don't know where your starting point is, you're never gonna get to the end. And so I've asked the question about 10 times this morning. Where are you? Where are you? If you don't know, God is way better than ways. Just ask him. The great thing about ways is I don't have to know where I'm at. It tells me where I'm at. The great thing about God, if I can't figure out where I'm at, just ask him. Say, God, give me a number one through seven. And whatever number he begins to tell you in your heart, that's where you're at. I'm going to ask everybody to stand. Are you ready for this? Are you ready for God to change your life? Because here we go. If you need to make that quality decision, now is your time. Some of you, I believe this this morning, you've been hearing the call of God to call you into ministry, and so I want you to just go to one of these ministers and pray about it. It's that transformational call that I said at the beginning. If you need to make a number one decision, a quality decision for Christ, as soon as I say amen, I want you to go. If you want to take the Lord's Supper, come between section one and two, and they'll serve you the Lord's Supper. Get ready to move. Where you at? One through seven. Here we go. Three, two, one. The altars are open. Begin to move.